revelation of Jesus Christ in David's life. This week we are on part three, so let's prepare our hearts for time in the Word. Good morning and welcome to Victory. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time as our guest, we want to welcome you today. Hope that you make yourself at home in the service. Uh, if you need something at any time, maybe you locate someone in one of those black serve shirts with the orange V on it. Uh, we just want to say how appreciative we are of you taking the time to drop in and worship with us today. There are a lot of great churches in the area, and we're honored to have you. Today is the third in the installment of this series that we're calling Poet Warrior King. Uh, David was definitely a renaissance man. He was a man's man in the sense that he was not afraid to take on or tackle any opposition. Uh, as we're going to talk about today in this probably most famous story that everyone, whether they're a church person or not, has, has heard the story of the little man against the big man. That's basically David against Goliath. Uh, I'm excited today to bring this message to you. Uh, David is is kind of what I refer to as a Renaissance man uh, because he is a man of learning. He's, he is sensitive to the things of the Spirit of God. He shows us that you can be manly and you can still love Jesus. You can still love the presence of God with all of your heart. And you can have a sensitivity in you that cares about people and about animals because he tended his father's sheep. But he also could get angry and he could get that righteous indignation stirred up and protect those animals and do what he needed to do to protect and defend the people of Israel. And as we jump in today in number three, this is called Fight the Good Fight. Everybody say, Fight the Good Fight. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, one more time, please. And in this message, Fight the Good Fight, we have a couple of texts. The first one is found in Psalm 78, Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72. So find a screen where it's comfortable for you to read and read along with us heartily out loud, please. Here we go. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Stop right there. We do this every week because I want you to see the two critical elements of leadership are not merely skills and an external appearance that looks right, but it is inside and outside. It's a heart and the hand. It's having your heart aligned with God, being a kingdom man, sensitive to the Spirit of God, but also being emboldened so that you can rise up with a sword in your hand and protect the people of God as a future king. So everybody say heart and hand. Say shepherded and guided. All right, last verse. Here we go. This is found this morning. Next text. There we go. 1 Samuel 17, 32, one verse. This is the middle of the story. And Goliath is taunting the people of God. David stands before Saul, and these are his remarks. Read it together. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today that you are our heavenly David, and you've already taken down the Philistine, the Philistine giant. The world, the flesh, and the devil. As we talk about these things this morning in this amazing story, we just acknowledge your finished work, uh, your glorious uh, reception into the heaven, heaven seated by the right hand of the majesty on high, as Hebrews 1 says. 
There you sit and you ever live to make intercession. You pray, you stand in the gap for each and every one of the people of God on the planet and for those who are yet to be born into your kingdom. God, we thank you today. Thank you for this place, for our hearts. Uh, Lord, calibrate us today. Just reset us. Lord, like a watch that's out of time, bring it back into right time. Calibrate our hearts with yours. Help us to be sensitive to the things that you're saying by the Spirit. God, embolden us and empower us to do everything you've called us to do. We can't do it apart from you. God, I need you. I'm desperate for you more than I ever have been. I thank you today that your presence is in this place. Anoint us, O oh God, to speak the word of the Lord today, that, that hearts would change and be transformed, that lives, Father, would be set free, captives would be freed in Jesus' name. We'll be careful to give you the praise, and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning, the presence of the Lord. The Philistines have been a perennial enemy of the children of Israel. For generations, there have been problems. They have arisen in this season with a new champion. They have a family. Goliath is not alone. He's not by himself. But he has four brothers that are of his stature. Goliath is the biggest. We're, we're, we're not just talking about skilled Olympians that are maybe seven feet, three-inch basketball players. Our, our generations over the years have gotten taller. Did you know that the average height of the uh, young man who fought in the Civil War was five feet, three inches tall? And so over the last 150 years, as a, as a human race, we are, we are changing. We we, we as Christians do not deny microevolution. Those are changes within a species. It would be foolish when everything around us indicates that we do adapt and we change and we grow. We do deny, and forgive me for taking this and even chasing this rabbit, but I just want to say, as believers, as God-fearers, as men and women of the covenant of God, we believe that God initiated this, that He put it into play, that he created us, and I believe in seven days according to Genesis 1. I, I recognize this morning that in the midst of all of that, there are elements of the creation that when I stand before him, I have a couple of questions. I, I, first of all, I want to know why he made the mosquito, because I do not see the purpose. <laughs> and blessed Arkansas with an abundance. It really should probably be the bird of the state. And if you've not been around in the evenings about 8.30 and when the sun sets, then uh, let me introduce you. The Philistines have been this perennial recurring nemesis against Israel. And Israel has seen some relief because Saul has the ability to call together and galvanize the motivation of the hearts of the men of Israel. He's been leading now for some 25 years and he's blown it three distinct times to the point that the prophet Samuel has said the kingdom is going to be rent from you. You'll finish it out until you die but it won't be passed down dynastically, dynastic succession into your son and your sons, son's sons 
but someone else who I'm going to raise up who is a man after my own heart who will do all according to the will of the Lord that I have put before him. And Saul doesn't yet know who that's going to be. And so it's definitely been a very disturbing time, probably a depressed period in Saul's life. Now remember, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. All of the men of Israel look to him because he's got the goods. He looks right. He is, he is kingly in appearance. Come on, how many of you have been watching the debates and you go, man, that person it says some good things, but they're just not presidential. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You just go, I, just, just, I mean, unless something changes, I just can't see casting my vote in that direction. Well, Saul is getting the votes. He, he was in the polls. Everybody loved him. His, he was high and the ratings were going through the roof until basically his ratings with God bottomed out. And so the, the, the Philistines come around again in a fresh season of war in the spring when the sap rises in the trees and the testosterone rises in the hearts of warrior men. And they're out there in the battle. And we find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's in the valley of Elah. And Elah, I've been to Israel before and I've seen this location and it's just kind of like a, 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 a big valley between a couple of larger hills. And there's an outcropping, kind of a plateau on both sides where the Philistine army is up on this one ridge and the Israel army, Israelite army is up on the other ridge. And down in the valley is what is referred to as the Ephesdamim. It's the line of the battle. Everybody say the battle line. Tra translate it directly from the Hebrew and it means the line of blood drops. And so that means that when you see a battle like this that's going to take place, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the specific characteristics in just a moment. Before I do, I want you to remember that just one chapter before, the prophet Samuel has said some very distinct words that weren't his, they weren't original to him, but God in the middle of his fervor to anoint a new king who looked the parts, sons of Jesse, Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, all fine, upstanding, probably uh, Israelite Olympiads potentially and basically God speaks to Samuel when Samuel says surely this is the Lord's anointed and God says do not look on his outward appearance or his height or his stature now can we remember are we so short in our term and our memory that we don't remember last week what came out of that chapter I think it's vital that we really ask that question again why would God say do not look on his outward appearance or the height of his stature how does that question come to bear in this famous battle between an underdog and an, a seemingly insurmountable mountain of a man some nine feet tall? Now, you, do, do, not, do not question one bit the possibility of this because we've seen men of this level of, of height and stature throughout history. Matter of fact, Andre the Giant was a wrestler here just a few years ago that could probably be maybe uh, Goliath's younger brother. Who, who knows what it was? Maybe it was a pituitary gland uh, birth defect in Goliath's family that produced these outrageous heights of men. So they were known as giants. They were champions for the Philistine army. And when these guys were born and came along, everybody was excited and they just knew for sure. Come on, come on. How, I mean, it's like the Chicago Cubs right now. They're just going, maybe, maybe back to the future is right. Maybe this is the year. Now, as a, as a Cardinals fan in our house, we were a little disappointed. But at the same time, 
because I, I, I just love the fact that, hey, Lord, maybe let them break this 107-year curse in the name of Jesus. <laughs> some of you go, I can't believe you're praying about some sports thing. Come on, come on, folks, get real. Can, can you just be a human being a little bit here? Are, are, are you okay? <laughs> I, 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 believe, I believe Jesus, if, if he were here with us in his physical body, I believe that he could go to a ball game and root with us and, 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 and be involved with our lives and be able to, at the same time representing the kingdom of God, can laugh and have fun and just be real. Come on, somebody. Uh, that's, that's our greatest endeavor here at Victory is just to try to keep this real and not get so churchy. And I'm saying that as I'm in a tie and a vest this morning. Somebody said, what are you doing? I said, I just got to mix it up every now and then. Let you folks know I do have some real clothes in my closet. <laughs> All right. This is the second text. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. I love this. David knew one thing. The one thing of the message today, whether you get anything else, is this right here. Say it with me. Here we go. The fear of the Lord is greater than the strength of man. How many of you believe that's the truth? Say it again like you mean it. The fear of the Lord is greater than the strength of man. I think we're going to actually find that there is a real giant on the field and there's one that's a dwarf and it's not as you expect it to be. And It's all going to be tied up in this. Because this perspective right here is going to change the way you look at circumstance. If you can fear God and not man, the Bible says the fear of man is a snare. But if you can fear God, you don't have to be afraid of anybody. You don't have to ever be afraid of any man. You don't have to live as a man pleaser. You don't have to live captivated by peer pressure. You don't have to live uh, inside the realm of whatever the latest polling reveals. But you can be who God's called you to be. You can be God's anointed woman. You can be God's faith-filled man. In the marketplace, in, in, in the school, in your home, in your neighborhood, whatever you do, you can do it from a fresh perspective of confidence that comes in the Lord because you know that the fear of God is greater than the strength of man. It's better to fear God than to be nine feet tall. That's the way I want to say it this morning. It's better to say it with me. It's better to fear God than to be nine feet tall. So point number one, as we roll into this this morning, the Philistine champion has a tactic, and his tactic is one that he regularly uses. This is one that everybody in this room, if you've lived longer than, than 10 years, if you're more than at least 10 years old, and probably by that time you've had some of this from some punk in your grade, from some, some person from school who tried to talk down to you and condescend to you and tried to intimidate you and maybe bully you. And everybody probably at some point in your life has been bullied by somebody. And giant uh, the giant... The champion, Goliath, literally is the epitome. He is the personification of the bully. We can see him today as kind of a picture of Satan and what he does with all of his imps and the hordes of hell coming, coming regularly and challenging you and whispering in your ear and telling you how no good and what a, what a worthless piece of whatever you are. And how he's got you in his hand and how he's going to defeat you and how he's going to feed you to the birds of the air, feed you to the demons of hell. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are familiar with the voice. You hear that, 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 that interaction, that what stirs in your heart when you start to hear and you start to literally uh, uh, pay attention to and, and give voice to those things when they come. He is an intimidator. Goliath does not quit. He runs his mouth constantly. 
It's like the dragon in the book of Revelation where out of his mouth spewed all of these cursings and vile things. He started out as a snake in the book of Genesis, slithering and whispering, the whisperer. That's literally what serpent means in the Hebrew. It's, it's the word literally means whisper. And so from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, we start with a snake, but we end up with a dragon. Somebody fed that fool. And, and what I'm trying to tell you is if you let a serpent live in your garden, if you keep feeding it, it will grow up into a dragon that will spew out all kinds of cursings into your life, like a giant who will intimidate you. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? Look at verses 8 through 11. Let's read them. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. This is Goliath. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? We read all of this is taking place between Sokah and Ezekah and in the valley of Elah and the writer takes three verses to describe the armor of this giant. He has a sword that has the size of a weaver's beam, a weaver's rod. He's wearing bronze all over him, nine feet tall, glistening in the sun, screaming the way an operatic basso, basso buffundo would in an outrageously intimidating voice that carries across the whole valley. And he says, choose a man for yourselves. This is very characteristic of an ancient fight. Armies wouldn't allow their ranks to be decimated and multitudes of men to die. They would bring a representative champion from each army. And so what we see happening here is there's going to be a federal head. Goliath is going to represent the hordes of the Philistines, a la Satan and the hordes of hell. David will be the little underdog because nobody is stepping forward. Nobody in the Israelite ranks Everybody is trembling in fear and trepidation. Let, re, let me remind you that as a blood-bought son and daughter of God, as a child of the king, the Bible says you have not been given a spirit of fear, but you've been given the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Come on, somebody say amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says we've not been given the spirit of, uh, again to fear, but we've been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. We're connected to him. So Goliath steps forward and says, Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. He's in the valley, not yet stepping across the Ephesdamum, the line of the blood drops, because all of them are both Israelite on one side, Philistines on the other, and there is a line drawn in the middle of the valley. Goliath comes out. Let's read. He says, Let him come to me. Verse 9, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Next verse, and the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were what? They're trembling, dismayed. Dismayed is a Bible word you don't use often. Dismayed means you are so afraid that you are, you, you are mobilized. You can't move. So they're trembling in fear at the unending, relentless intimidation of this giant who is getting up every day. And let's continue. Let's read verse 16. Look how long he's been doing it. Everybody say it with me. For how long? 40 days. Folks, can you imagine being out on the brow of a hill and every morning you get up 
And it's not, it's not the bugler playing reveille awakening the camp, but it's the sound of your greatest enemy that terrifies your heart and nobody in the camp is willing to step forward and represent the people of God. They're all standing there terrorized. I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's a little bit like the spirit of fear that tries to grip us today with the random violence that's going on around us in schools and colleges and shooters and, and, and poor women that are being assaulted in the daylight and in grocery stores coming out of and getting their tanks filled at the gas station and some mob violence by these unruly teenagers and all the stuff that we see happening in Memphis and West Memphis and right here in our own back door. It, it's easy to get so terrified come on somebody are you hearing me that this thing can attach itself to you 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening I'm not asking for a show of hands this morning but any of you who've ever battled something that took a while to get through and defeat it how many of you know what it was like to constantly hear the taunting voice of the enemy saying, you'll never beat this, this thing is going to be the end of you, it's going to kill you, it's going to take you down, whether it was a drug addiction, whether it was a marriage that was on the rocks, whether it was a business that you were looking up through the bottom, you're looking up through drowning in a sea of red ink. All of the taunting, all of the relentless intimidation by the enemy. Forty days the Philistine came. And this is what I want you to see this morning. Next point. If you would, go ahead, click. In the middle of all of this, God tells us in this story about Jesse who sends David down to his sons with some supplies. And so David is heading down with some parched grain, basically some chip and dip or something. I mean, he was going to run, run into town before he went out to the battle scene and and hit KFC Taco Bell and take the guys a bucket of chicken. And so he's showing up with the, the donkey laden down with raisins and all of the food of the day, and he's taking it out there to his brothers, and he, he leaves his sheep that he is still looking after in the care of someone else, and he loads up the donkey. Jesse blesses him. He rolls down there to where this battle scene has been going on, uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC have been giving it around-the-clock coverage for 40 days, all of them out there trying to see what's going to happen, okay? So there's a lot of shouting going on, but there's never actually been any fighting yet. Goliath is there continuously. So David rolls up at the site of the battle, and immediately he hands the, the supplies over to somebody, and he, he, to a keeper of the baggage, and he jumps out there literally uh, to where all of the guys were in the front, up on the ridge, and he's looking for his brothers. And let me just show you, he's just doing what his dad said, going to take care of his oldest three brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. Now remember, these are the same three dudes who got looked over by Samuel. They already experienced rejection from the prophet of God. And here comes this little young punk, 17 years old, who all of a sudden is just riding out here in the middle of all of this what looks like unwarranted confidence. And he says, what's going on? He says, how in, the, how in the name of the God of heaven can this stinking uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of God? He's basically saying, just let me at him. And, and the way most grown men would when you hear a little bit of kind of over-the-top bodaciously bragging Young teenager, all of them just sort of descend on him. But look at what happens from such an unexpected direction. Everybody say minor distractions and major battles. Now this is the deal. It's the craziest thing. Look with me here in verse 28. 
The Bible says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he says, Why have you come down here? And there is this older brother's spirit that's taunting him. And let's just click, and I want you to see. It says, And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Now, do, don't, don't read past that. Because I want you to see what the older brother was trying to do. He was trying to humiliate David. He was trying to say, look, you, you low down, no count, overconfident, piece of little 17-year-old whatever fill in the blank that his brother was probably calling him. And I'm cleaning it up because these are men on the battlefield. And don't be so stinking churchy and religious that it offends you that I suggested that. Because these men are warriors. And they're fighting and they're talking trash and they're talking, they're not speaking uh, church language. Or come on, help me a little bit. Let's, let's break out of this stupid southern churchianity that we get in and realize that sometimes when you're down in the trenches, the worst and the last thing you need is some holier-than-thou person looking over you, checking to make sure that you're doing everything religiously correct. Y'all are not hearing what I'm saying this morning. Come on, help me in this place just a little bit. And here his own brother, my God, why is it that sometimes when you finally rise up in some confidence that comes from the, from the God of, of heaven, that finally, it literally the opposition is not the enemy, but it's coming out of your own house. Why is it that when you start to stand up in faith that some of the people who ought to be the ones supporting you who ought to be the ones encouraging you, who ought to be the ones saying, come on, come on, you're a man of faith and power and the valor of God's on you. But yet in the middle of he's saying, why did you, who did you leave those few sheep back there in the wilderness? Who do you think you are? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you've come down just to see the battle. Just makes me want to roll up my fist and lay hands on him in the name of Jesus. I love this. I love this. It's, it's so indicative because let me just say this to you this morning. It's not just your natural family. Sometimes your spiritual family. Sometimes it's people down the pew from you. Sometimes it's people down the street from you. And you're just struggling, trying to do the best you can to make it. And somebody is coming with their little bean girl and talking, talking down to you, just making suggestions to you that you're less than you ought to be. Come on, somebody. Help me a little bit in here this morning. And they're trash talking. And David is so amazing because he just doesn't even give it the second thought. And I have this in your notes if you'll check this. The enemy would not like anything greater than for us to have our skirmishes, our minor distractions fighting with the family of God. Because as long as we fight each other, we never engage the real enemy. Come on, you ought to be shouting right there. Come on. If the enemy can put confusion in us, and start to make us think that the spouse in the house that we're living with is the problem and make us fight, then he can destroy our power of agreement. If he can make me think that the person on the on job with me, come on, are you hearing me this morning? And though there may be some times where they may be again you, come on. Like, like the person said one time, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not against me. And that's the truth. There's some truth to that sometimes. And I want to tell you this this morning, as we, as we look at this, remember that if you let you be yourself be distracted and you fight with the family, you're not engaging the one that you were called to fight and take down. And David never paid any attention. I love it. Next, number three, point number three, learn to rehearse your testimony. David starts walking around 
among all the group, and he leaves Eliab, doesn't have time to get all caught up. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you've got to pick your battles. So he's not going to be minorly distracted by his silly older brother because he's got a major battle that he knows he's going to enter. He was born for this day. Everything that has happened in his life has prepared him for what he's about to encounter. And he's walking around talking tall and walking tall and saying, come on, what will the king do if the man of Israel arises and takes down this stinking trash-talking giant? And they all say, well, the king has promised that he's going to relieve any kind of burden of taxes for the man's family for the rest of his life. And he also gets the king's daughter. Well, that means you're going to get the king's inheritance. David actually is going to marry her. And later in the story, I don't have time to run ahead and fast forward, but you're going to find out that may not be such a blessing to get the king's daughter. I'll leave that alone. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, learn to rehearse your testimony. Let's get verses 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, he'd been walking around talking to the men, and they basically said, what will the king do for the man who takes down this Philistine? And so somebody, uh, Saul hears about it, and he says, bring me this young man. Really, this, what we just read in the last chapter where he goes to Saul's court and becomes his musician actually hasn't happened yet. That was kind of a fast forward showing you by the prophet that what's going to happen a little bit later. At this point, Saul really doesn't know David yet, Okay. The whole court musician thing is going to come after this actual event happens here. And so Saul asks him, what, you know, who are you and, and, and why are you talking so big out here? What is, what is wrong with this picture? The tallest man, the greatest leader in Israel is not engaging the enemy because Saul is scared to death. He ought to be out there as the champion of the people of God. But he knows that he's lost the spirit of God and no matter how tall and good looking he might be even in his older years... He doesn't stand a chance because he knows the Spirit of God has departed from him. And Saul asks David some questions. And David says, but the Bible says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, next verse, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Man, there's something about that just makes me want to get up and head to the battle. He says, you know, it didn't matter what it was. I was taking care of my daddy's sheep and I did what it took to defend them and protect them. And if it was a little mountain lion, a little cougar or whatever, then I would take it down with the sling, beat it with the staff, literally grab it by its beard and strangle it and kill it. And so David has a testimony. Look at this. This is, this is what God's done for him and look where he's going to give the credit. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. David knew that this guy was not in the covenant but he was an alien, he was an enemy. David knew that he was marked with the covenant of God, that the favor of the Lord was upon him because he knew that he was uh, under the shadow of the Almighty as a covenant man circumcised. And he looked at this guy and he said, this uncircumcised Philistine is coming down. He shall be like one of them, the lion, the bear, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Next verse. And David said, now get this, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, read it, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. <laughs> I, I, I love this. 
I love this because David gave God the credit saying every time I had to stand up and do something in order to protect my daddy's sheep, then God showed up and he delivered me from the jaw of the lion and from the paw of the bear and the same God who showed up every time and helped me to do what I was called to do, that same God is going to deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Come on somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord a little bit of praise in this place. Oh, I wish I had a crowd that had come to praise the Lord. I remember that sister in the church, she said, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise his name. Another one said, I didn't come to look at you. Come on, are you here this morning to hear the voice of the Lord or you come just to check everybody else out? He says, the Lord will deliver me. He delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And isn't it interesting when the folks who don't intend to do anything can get real religious when they figure out you're going to step up. Well, go and, and the Lord be with you. I love that no-count talk on Saul's part. Sometimes the folk around you are not going to do anything, but they, when they see you might rise up in a little bit of confidence, they can all of a sudden get real holy and real religious. Go and the, the Lord be with you. <laughs> no time for that business. I, I want to know somebody that's going to stand with me. I don't need somebody trash-talking me down. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? Are, are you getting anything out of this this morning? i got to move quickly. Next point, untested armor can get you killed. You know the story. Saul ain't going anywhere, but he's convinced that somebody needs to represent him. And so he dresses David up in all of Saul's armor and his coat of mail and gives him his sword. Look at one verse here. I'm going to move fast. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go in these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Sometimes folk who won't go try to tell you how you need to go. Sometimes folk who won't step up in faith try to tell you and straighten out your theology and how you ought to be believing God and you ought to put this on. You ought to do it that way. And I want to go, why don't you just back up and show me how? You cannot waste your time trying to do what somebody else tells you how to do in a battle they've never fought because it's not their battle. It's your battle. And it's a battle God's going to deliver you from. And you better get out of the middle of it and use something that you've already tested before, young David. And it's not in Saul's armor. David had been out there and the, the scripture literally says that he picked up, he put all of this off from Saul and he picked up his shepherd's staff and he bent down in a stream out of the middle of that valley just before the Ephes Damam because he knew that the fear of the Lord was greater than the strength of man. He knew that the God who was with him was a bigger giant than the giant he was about to face. And the real question comes into play. Who was the real giant on that battlefield that day? It wasn't a nine foot, nine inch tall man by the name of Goliath. But it was a little average size Jewish boy who had the power and the presence of God and the anointing on his life. And because of that, he wasn't afraid to encounter anything that stepped up before him. Any kind of relentlessly intimidating, screaming giant. He stepped forward in the anointing and he was appointed by God and anointed by God. And he stepped, reached down and picked up five smooth stones. And some of my Pentecostal brothers used to preach that that was one for the apostle and one for the prophet and one for the evangelist and one for the pastor and one for the teacher. And though that very well may have an application, I don't think that had anything to do with what David was thinking. I'm going to tell you what David was thinking. Goliath had four of the brothers. That's what David was thinking. <laughs> There's five of them big suckers out there. <laughs> now, you're talking about some confidence with some sure shot. 
Now, you know, when I go dove hunting on Labor Day with all the brothers, I got all kind. I got boxes of shells. <laughs> Some of those doves just kind of wave and go, hey, pastor, just keep on flying. But David was sure of his ability. He'd tested it. He had tried it. And he steps up to the plate, and he didn't try to do something and saw. It's like, like you're going to give a big presentation before the CEO of the company. Tonight, you're going to do that tomorrow. Tonight is not the time to download a new version of PowerPoint. You better test you better test that for a while, a few weeks before you try to get up and make something work. You better operate in something you already know how to do. Your, re- your research paper, your term paper, your dissertation has got to be turned in tomorrow. Tonight's not a time to let, download a whole new version of Word. Come on, somebody. Let me try to make it plain for a few folk in here. No matter what it is, whatever you do, you make sure you do it in something that you've tested, something that you know what's going on, something that you can be comfortable in your skin and your confidence can be in God, not in your ability but you know that God's going to use you as the channel to take down the giant. So he's going to use your skills. Come on, somebody. I tell you, I came to have church today, and, 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 and this is pretty good in here. I'm going to knock the ceiling tiles out in the second service because they know how to praise God with me in there. Come on, I'm trying to wake you up in here a little bit. Well, David put them off, and I love this. David is not one bit intimidated by this giant. Everybody say verbal victory. I want you to take everything you learned all summer long in our series with Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Haley, myself on that thing called Suited on the Armor of God. I want you to wrap that up with that whole uh, faith series that we, we talked about speaking life, everything that had to do with stepping out in faith. You, you crunched that all together with Pastor Ray's uh, three-part series that we did weekend um, almost a month ago on the power of a God-given imagination. And you suit up with the armor of God and you get the word of the Lord in your mouth and you start moving from a perspective of confidence that you know that the fear of the Lord is greater than the strength of man and that puts you right where David is right now. Everything we've been preaching for about the last four or five months rolled up into a young little Jewish boy who's running to the battle line. He's not going to wait for Goliath. He runs to the battle. Look at this. I love it. How many of you know sometimes saints need to learn how to do some sanctified trash talking? We need to learn how to let our own verbal intimidation go. Not to our brothers and sisters, not to the neighbor across the fence, but to the enemy, to Satan himself, to the hordes of hell. Look at what he says. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Look at this. Keep going. This day. Everybody say, this day. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the... He's not stopping with Goliath. He's going to hand the whole Philistine army to the birds of the air. David's doing some sanctified trash talking. I love it. He says, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And this is is why we're here, right here. Everybody say it. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Next verse, next slide. And, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear. This next verse right here, this next line, is the most important statement in the whole chapter of 58 verses right here. Look at this. Read it out loud. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Do you believe that this morning? The battle is the Lord's. It is not yours. 
David went out there knowing that there was a nine foot, nine inch tall giant intimidating everybody. And he looked at Saul when he first arrived and he said, don't let any man's heart fail him but fear because of this idiot. Let me go. I will fight this Philistine. And he's the one who ends up going. And he says, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our. Look at this. David, he didn't say my hand, but as a representative, he's representing the whole nation, the people of God. He will give you into our hand. And this is what I want you to see. Because when the representative goes forth and wins, the whole nation reaps the benefits. Now I'm going to preach that real good in about five minutes, so stay with me, okay? Here we go. Next point. I want you to stop with me this morning before we end this message and let's just take a stroll through David's trophy room. Come on, some of you hunters are in here. You've got that big one that didn't get away and you've got it taxidermied. You've got it stuffed and it's mounted on the wall. You've got that eight-point buck and you, you walk into your man cave and it's a trophy because you saw him and you killed him, you hit him and you chased him down for a mile or two and you went and got him. And you've enjoyed the spoil of that battle. Your family's eating good all winter off of that big, huge thing. And you got it, the head stuffed and everything fixed, and you've got it mounted because it's a trophy. It is something that indicates that you were there in the battle and you lived to tell about it. It indicates that you beat something that a lot of other people don't ever have the opportunity to beat. Come on, somebody say amen. So let's go visit David's trophy room. Here we go, verse 54. David took the head of the Philistine. Stop. After the story unfolds, David and Goliath rush to the battle line. Giant basically has got a man carrying his whole man-sized shield in front of him. David takes out one smooth stone. He puts it into the sling and he gives it one whirl. And it impacts the giant right in his head right in his strategizing thinking capacity, which is right where Jesus hit Satan. Come on, somebody. He takes him down in one little stone, falls to the ground, and the scripture says he was killed. But the Bible says David went, knelt over the giant, took his sword out of his hand and cut his head off and raised up that bloody head for all of the people of Israel to shout... And guess what happened to the Philistine army when they did? They all fled and ran away. And the, the, all of a sudden, here comes the courage of the Israelite army because they know they, that, that David has defeated the champion. And they chase down that Philistine army all the way to the gates of Ekron past the city of Gath and totally decimate and destroy the Philistine army. Isn't it amazing when you can let your confidence be in what one has already won, the one who's already won the battle? Come on, somebody. I'm going to preach this real good in a minute if you'll stay with me. They chased them down. This is what the Bible says. Everybody else is plundering the whole field. They're taking home all the goods. And the Bible says, And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. And read it out loud with me. But he put his armor in his tent. So David's got Goliath's sword. So as I bring this message to a close this morning, I want you to think about David's testimony. I want you to think about what he used, how God had helped him in the past when he was in the middle of a hard time in the present. He rehearsed 
what had happened and how God had delivered him. Charles Swindoll said it this way, and I skipped it over my point because I want to put it here. And that is, we as humans, even though we have been born again, we have a tendency to remember the things we should forget, and we forget the things that we ought to be remembering. We remember the failures that we have encountered, and we forget about the victories that God brought us through and delivered us. Come on, somebody. Why is it that we do that? And so David is a man of faith. He's acting in courage and he starts rehearsing. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the, 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 the jaw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So you gather in David's tent. David carries them around with him. He's got a bear paw. And I'm not talking about one of those fat pastries from Daylight Donuts. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but I'm talking about a real bear paw. And he's got the skull of a dead lion. And he's added to that in his trophy room. He's got the sword of a dead giant. And the blood on the scabbard of when he's literally cut the head off. And I want you to see what's in David's room here. Because David is, is a picture of Jesus who is our heavenly David. And the lion, what is, what is the lion indicative of? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that Satan goes about as a roaring what? Lion seeking whom he may devour. And David took down the lion. He's got the skull to prove it. And, and David also took down the bear. And in the, in the scripture, the bear is a symbol of the world. And so, so our heavenly David has already got the lion who is going about roaring, trying to uh, intimidate and devour everyone he can. And he's taken down the, the bear, which is the world. That's the whole world system that is literally geared against you to try to make you fail. But to that trophy room, he's also added the sword of the giant. Let me tell you what this is. These are the three things the scripture talk about. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil's the lion head. The world is the bear paw. But the sword of Goliath, that's your flesh. That is this big giant that screams at you all the time and tells you, you're not really born of God. You're not really an overcomer. You're not really victorious because you wouldn't be wrestling with these thoughts that you've got in your head right now or you wouldn't be having these desires or you wouldn't be struggling with this struggle or this battle. And he gets up with you every morning. He wakes up before you wake up and he's already talking to you and intimidating you before you get up out of the bed. And you know what? He'll keep doing that as long as you'll let him do it. Or you can rise up in the spirit of your heavenly David and you can take the sword and cut his head off. Come on, somebody. Have you got anything out of this this morning? Last point and I'm finished. Jesus is our heavenly David. Ben's not here today to help me. Chloe, come give me some strum and a little bit on the guitar or something. Uh, Jesus is our heavenly David. I've got two verses and I'm finished. Look at this. This is the same spirit that David went on the battlefield with and spoke to King Saul and said, Saul, King Saul, do not let any man's heart fail him. Period. Don't, do not let any man be afraid because of this fool, this idiot, this, this, this uncircumcised Philistine, this giant. Look at what Jesus says. When I, John is writing. He says, when I saw him, he's got a, a vision of Jesus Christ. He says, I fell at his feet and though, as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, don't be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid for I am the first and the last. And he says, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell, death and Hades. Now, Jesus has some different items in his trophy room. It's not a natural lion skull or a, or a bear 
paw or a sword of a real giant. But he's got some trophies that are better than all of that put together. Because we who were all of our lifetime subject to fear because of Satan who had and who held the power of death and the keys of death. Jesus marched into hell literally to decimate. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he triumphed over them in it. He made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. The prince of this world would not have crucified him had he known that he was crucifying the Lord of glory. Because what the devil rejoiced at literally made an entrance for Jesus to walk down into the tombs of hell and he looked at Satan and he said, give me those keys, they're mine, they're not yours. And Jesus came up out of them. And even, even any devil, even any Satan, any adversary of your life right now, he is a dog on a leash. God is in control and holds the keys of everything in your life and mine. Come on somebody, give God praise. Jesus is our heavenly David. He has a trophy room. And this morning, I'm going to tell you something. He shed his blood, the, 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 the blood drop line. When Jesus shed his blood at the cross, literally, there was a line in the valley that the giant couldn't cross. I'm going to tell you something this morning. There's a line in your life that any giant, no matter what he is or what he's saying, he can't cross, and it's the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Are you covered by the blood this morning? Do you have the blood of Jesus applied to the to your life, to your heart. As they bring the lights down, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just want to say this to you right now in this moment. It's not about gearing up your courage and your valor and trying to fight a battle in your own strength because I've learned this over and over in my own life. God will let me wear my 